Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. Appreciate you being here. Um, didn't know with December coming around if, if it would be really tough or not, and uh, but I... Uh, appreciate you guys being here. I'm excited to kind of put the end, the you know, the bookends of this series, Breaking Babylon, kind of coming to a close this week. And uh, we have a really a good, I'm excited about where we're going next semester too. We're going to be doing, um, I'll, I'll say it at the end as well, but we're going to be doing a series on um, um, uh, Price of Privilege. There's a book that was out that I recommend uh, all of you to read. In fact, if you want to read something over Christmas break, uh, Price of Privilege is the, the name of the book. Uh, Madeline Levine is the author, and we're going to use that as our jumping off point. Um, she is, it's actually, it's not a Christian book. She's a secular psychologist, and she uh, just has amazing things to say, though, about our kids growing up as teenagers in an affluent society. Now, we know John's Creek's not affluent. Yeah, I, I figured you guys would laugh at that. Um, we do. We are all a part of that. Even if, if you feel like you guys are uh, affluent or not, personally, we are, we are in that culture. And so I think it's going to be good for all of us. It's one of my favorite best books I've read in the last few years about teen culture and, and developing uh, the proper really the, the psychology and stuff behind our kids growing up in a way that's healthy. And so that's where we're going to be going in, um, in the spring. So I'm excited about that. Uh, so today we're covering Daniel chapter 6. Um, and you're going to find some of the same themes in Daniel 6 that we've seen across, right? A lot of these things do repeat. But let me go ahead and I'm going to, as I've done in, throughout this whole series... If I were to read each chapter, that would take half the time. So I'm going to try to tell you this story again. A lot of you are familiar. If, you, if you've been a believer for a long time, you probably are familiar with the story of Daniel. And today we're covering Daniel in the lion's den. Um, it starts with Daniel. Uh, the crisis has moved back to Daniel. If you remember the last few, the first few chapters, the first three chapters, Daniel and his friends were in crisis. And then last month, what we talked about was the crisis really shifted to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and then to uh, the king after him, and the handwriting on the wall. And so Daniel was kind of a prophet speaking into what was going to happen, but it wasn't affecting Daniel directly. And so now Daniel's back in the crosshairs, okay, in Daniel chapter 6. And he comes to power as Darius the Mede comes to power. Uh, Daniel moves in uh, to that position where he is over a third of the kingdom. And so he is a very powerful person. He is over all the, the nobles, and he has this high position, the officials, the nobles, the satraps, which I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, um, but Daniel's the one who's over all of them, and he's distinguished above everybody, and the king loves him so much that he even intends to put him over the entire kingdom. So he's incredibly powerful, and he's very old. He got brought out of retirement uh, at the end of the last chapter, and as the Medes uh, and the Persians took over, they see how valuable he is and raise him up to a, a high level. Now, he's raised because of the spirit that is in him. 
I think that's interesting. Daniel's faith is what sets him apart. Um, and we, ke- we have to keep in mind, again, this theme that the Lord is the one who raises up and casts down, right? He's the one who is involved in these things. So the high officials, they, they are jealous. Uh, they want power. Daniel stands in their way. And they don't know what to do. How are they going to cast him down? How are they going to get an edge over him? And so it says uh, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Then verse 5 says, Then these men say, We shall not find any grounds for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay, so Daniel was above reproach in every way. Um, He had done everything right. And they knew only by trapping him in that has something to do with his God is a way that we can get to him. Because otherwise, he's completely above reproach. I think that's just an, an amazing thing for us to think about. You know, you think of someone like uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, you guys, I don't know if you remember when, when Passion of the Christ came out. I think Mel was like a superstar in Christian, um, in Christian circles, right? And we were all like, gosh, this guy is just, he's a, he's a, he's a famous movie star. He's good looking and he's a believer. And we see this fantastic movie. And I still think it's a great movie. But then he had his own demons, right? He was not above reproach. There were other areas, and boy, did he shipwreck on those, right? It, and, and you think of these heroes, you know, again, we've talked about this theme throughout all of Daniel, that we need heroes. We need God to raise up people like Daniel in our, in our community. And so Daniel, there was nothing they could, they could catch him on. And so of course, they go and they devise this plan, and they go to the king, and they say, and they hit the king up in his area of pride, and they use the system of the world to attack Daniel, and they say, hey, king, we want you to set something up. We want no one to be able to pray or petition their God, no one but you, for 30 days. And that's what we think is going to be the key to catching Daniel, because they knew Daniel was not going to go along with this. And so, they established this, and the law of the Medes and the Persians, it was kind of like Obamacare. You know, once you passed it, it was not going away, right? It was going to be something that was going to forge ahead, and you could not go against it. And so once they had him agree to this law, the king, Darius, not being tricked, I mean, him, him being tricked into doing it, they knew they had him because he could not revoke it. And so he signed the document. Now, Daniel had a practice that three times a day he would go up into his upper room of his house and open his windows towards Jerusalem, and he would pray three times a day. Uh, it's interesting, you know, we, we go, well, how did they know that he was doing that? And, you know, you can only guess they had high walls around the city and so forth, and it's possible, obviously, that there were other buildings higher than Daniel's house, or maybe even the guards who walked the walls could see through his windows as he was praying. But regardless of how they knew, they knew that he would pray three times a day. And so, of course, right after he started to do that, they, they called him, they caught him doing it. And, you know, it's interesting, Daniel knew, and he was willing to suffer the consequences, right? He knew this was, that he could be caught doing this. And yet, it did not change the practice, knowing uh, what could happen to him. Uh, his devotion and his practice was known for this, and maybe that is a part of his secret of success, right? Daniel was committed to the Lord. If, uh, if you read, Joshua chapter 1 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And in Joshua chapter 1, um, he, God says to Joshua, if you take the words of the law and hide them in your heart, 
you will be prosperous and successful. You will be wiser than your enemies. You will be all of these things. And Daniel definitely exhibits that, right? He has a practice of pursuing God. He is unwavering in it. And because of that, God has blessed him and made him incredibly prosperous and successful in everything that he did. So the men capture him. They bring him before the king, and the king is completely distraught. He knows, wow, I've, got, I've been outmaneuvered here. This is my main guy. He's, he's, uh, he's great, and I hate that this is happening. It says the king even spends a day trying to figure out a way around the law and figure out a way that he can rescue Daniel, and uh, it doesn't happen. Um, and it's interesting, they, they lie about Daniel. You know, they say, Daniel pays no attention to you. And I just want to point that out. Satan always lies. He always uses lies and twists the truth. Uh, obviously, Daniel honored his king very much, but it was just in this one area that he, he had to defy him. And so you get to verse 16, and that's kind of the climax where the king, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, and the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, and again, that continually serve. He was known for that. Who you serve continually, may he deliver you. Now, I always think it's interesting. God, just like in other chapters of Daniel, right? God could have stopped this before now. You know, it's always interesting for me for us to think about that. God didn't have to put him into the lion's den. You know, he is most glorified in this instance by Daniel going in the lion's den. He could have stopped it earlier. Daniel could have found out about the trap. The king, he could have walked in right after they talked to the king about the law. You know, there's so many different ways that God could have intervened. And yet in this crisis point, he brings Daniel not only to the edge of the lion's den, but just like Shadrach and Meshach, right? They, they, they had to go in the furnace. And in this case, he has to go in the lion's den. I think that's important for us to remember that God takes us into those lion's dens, right? He takes us into those places, those dark places. Uh, and he does it for the sake of his glory. That is why he does it. Um, so Daniel goes in. The stone is laid over the mouth. The king doesn't sleep all night. He fasts. He, you know, I don't think I don't know if he prays, but he can't sleep. And in the morning, he runs out there and says, "Are you there?" You know. And Daniel says, he responds, "O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel and rescued me." So they bring Daniel out. No harm was done to him. The king is furious with any, you know, because he's been tricked. And so he takes, and of course, in the very brutal way of that time frame, right, he takes all those men, their wives, their kids, everybody related to them, and throws them in. And it says that the lions attack them and crush their bones before they even reach the bottom of the den. And so you have this brutal end to the enemies of Daniel. And then you have this wonderful... Uh, expression of from the king again to a decree glorifying God glorifying the God of Israel like we don't necessarily believe know that he's a believer it's kind of like some of the things Nebuchadnezzar said early on right it was honor Daniel's God but it wasn't necessarily that I pray to and worship Daniel's God but it's definitely there to honor the God of Daniel and verse 27 says, because he delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and earth, he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
Okay, and I say that, I want to end with, you know, that's the end of the, of the story. God's glorified, Daniel's rescued. And to keep in mind, as we look at Daniel, we do have to be careful because anytime you're looking at an Old Testament passage, we don't want to say, hey, there's Daniel, be like Daniel. And that's always our temptation, right, to go and say that. And, I, and we are doing that to a large degree throughout this whole series, right? We're looking at the way the Bible describes life in, in a fallen world and how a believer navigates that. And so we are trying to glean some of those things from Daniel. But the main message of Daniel, and I'm going to start with it instead of ending with it today, is to say, you and I don't have to face the lions because Jesus went into the lion den on our behalf, right? He's Daniel's the Christ figure. He faced the lions, and Jesus faced the lions for us so that we don't have to. And that is the message. None of the other things we even talk about today can be done if we don't grasp that point, right? You and I aren't good enough. Our kids are not going to be good enough. We can't always just hold up Daniel and go, okay, all of us, let's just muster up this strength and power to go be like Daniel. We're not that good, okay? Only by apprehending and walking in the Spirit and having God work in and through us and remembering daily that he face the lions for us, do we have the strength and power, and do our kids have the strength and power to do that? So let's keep that in mind as we look at the other things that we're going to try to glean from this. So just in, I'm going to run through this and just point some things out and try to think, how do we apply this again now uh, for our context, okay? Uh, the first thing is, what, what sets our kids apart? You know, one of the stark things about this chapter that's different is Daniel had a reputation, right? He had a reputation. He was known for one thing. I mean, he was known for lots of things. I think he was probably incredibly wise. He obviously had incredible skill, or the king would not have put him in charge, right? And, and Daniel was known. His faith made him attractive. Now, I tried to think of people that I know whose faith just oozes and who just the spirit of God. And the first two that came to mind, and, there, and there, there may be a lot of others, but I thought of like Laura Elvington or Dave McNeely. Like if you've really sat and talked, David was on our staff for four or five years uh, when, I, when I first got here. He was on the youth staff for like 10 or 15 years total, but he was on our staff for a long time. And David is like the most pleasant person I've ever met, you know? And I, you guys have all heard him preach. It comes across in the way that he communicates. But that really is who he is. Like, I don't think I've ever heard David just lose it and go off angry. I just don't think I've, ever, I've never even seen it. Like, David just has this pleasantness that exudes from him. And I think it has to come from his grounding in who God is. And I, and I experienced that. I don't know Laura as well. But whenever I'm with Laura or around her, I just she's just fun and awesome. Like, I just love being with her. And I just think of that, you know, are you known for that? Are our kids known for that? What is it that makes us attractive? Um, I knew a guy, I remember he was a preacher I met later in life, and he was not attractive. There was nothing about him that you would say, oh, gosh, like, what a man, you know, just he didn't have a booming voice. He wasn't all this. But as he told his story, he had become a believer early in high school, like freshman or sophomore year. And, I mean, this guy had acne scars, and he was you know, not a great athlete. He was not anything. And he ended up by his end of his senior year, he was the president of his student body. And he only gave glory to God for that. God just used, so filled him with the Holy Spirit that it so poured out of him that he became, you know, I don't want to say famous, but I mean, he 
rose to this level of prominence in high school, in his school, because of God. And it was only God. It wasn't the athleticism. It wasn't that he was a snappy dresser. It wasn't any of those things. It was the spirit. Just people got around him and was like, man, you are different. There's something about you that's attractive. And that is the goal. I mean, that is, what, what do we want to be known for? What do you and I want to be known for is a good question. And then what, it's a good question for us to ask our kids. Hey, what is driving you? What, what is your personality? Because I'll tell you, with students, I mean, you think about it. What do you think is driving your kids right now? What do you think they want to be known for? What is it that they're grasping and reaching for in a high school context? I can tell you what I think it is. They tend to, you know, they're, it's, you go back to like the breakfast club, right? Or one of those, you got the clicks, and where do I fit in? Where do I fit in the lunchroom? You walk into the lunchroom, and there's all these tables. Where's the table that I fit at? And what defines me, okay? Like my daughter enjoys being a comic book drama nerd. That is her MO, right? She knows more about DC and Marvel Comics and, you know, things like that. And she is in the drama. That's her community. And it kind of defines who she is. Okay? Uh, when I was in high school, I was, I was with the jocks, mostly. You know? We, uh, all my friends were athletes. I was an athlete. And that kind of defined where we were in the pecking order. Um, I had a friend who wasn't that athletic. And he was, like, the only, like, punk rocker at my whole high school. Like, he just did his hair funky and everything, and it was, because he was trying to, to, to carve out a space for him that made him special, right? We all want to be special. We all want to be unique. We all want to measure up. I mean, it's interesting that Rip played that clip, because it, it taps into that idea, right, that God did make each one of us to have some unique gifts and abilities, and how is he going to use those things to bring him glory, all right? And so... You think of people like, I think of Stephen in the Bible, you go Stephen, the first martyr, right? He was just known right off the bat. I mean, if you read that description of him in Acts, you cannot help but say, what a godly, amazing man. But what made him amazing was he was godly, right? Uh, I I try to think of a modern day person, you know, that we could emulate or that you would think about. And I thought of Tim Tebow. Now, whether you're a Tebow fan or not, uh, I was not. I'm a Tennessee grad, okay? So Florida's like the devil to me, okay? And I wanted to hate Tebow, even though I knew he was a believer, just because of who he played for. And the more I would read about him, I couldn't help but just think, man, this guy, he may not do everything perfectly, but he is trying to pursue the Lord. And he really used his football as just an avenue to glorify God, right? That was That's really how he looked at it. I mean, he didn't I'm not saying he didn't have a, he doesn't have his own strengths and weaknesses and things that are mixed up in that, but but he was looking for a way to be known for as a Christ follower first, I think, instead of as a football player first, and helping our kids to see that as well. Now, what are, what is the obstacle to that though? What is our obstacle to? me or my child looking and the very first thing that they think about or see is I'm going to glorify God. Um, and, and one of the things I think about with this is there's a, uh, and I'm going to jump down, Mark, which probably throws you off. 
uh, there's a verse in John 17, um, and it says this. It says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Let me say that again. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer about for us. It says, I've given them, us, your word, and the world has hated them. So we are going to be hated, just like Daniel was hated. As God followers, we can be hated in the world. Tim Tebow was hated. I mean, there, there were so many people who couldn't stand him. Uh, and you would go, well, why? Is it because he's so good or all these things? But I think the fact that he was a Christ follower made people hate him. I really do. And why? It says, because you are not of this world. Um, I think of, I don't know if any of you guys remember the movie Highlander. Okay, I, I thought it was the most awesome movie when I was like in junior high or high school. I don't remember when I saw it, but I was like, this is the greatest movie ever. And then I, th- I think I saw it a couple years ago, you know, maybe five years ago, because I was like, I, I love that movie. And then I watched it, and I was like, this is horrible. Like, what was I thinking that this was a good movie back when I was in high school? But uh, that would be a good remake. Um, but the thing about Highlander, if, you know, if you've never seen the movie, it's about this guy, and he doesn't know he's immortal, Okay, he doesn't know he's not of this world, and then he almost he's in this battle and he gets stabbed with the sword and everybody dies from that kind of bat wound, but he doesn't. And then somebody comes and says, "Well, the reason you didn't die is you're not from here. You're not of this world," and that changed everything for him, right? And we have that same obstacle. I think one of the reasons that we don't and our kids don't have as our main thing is to glorify God, is because we get caught up. We think this is the end. We think this earth that we experience now is the end game. And we vie for our place and position in this world, when really the next world is the end game. This is nothing, right? This world isn't the end. And so can you go all out and embarrass yourself for Jesus? Sure you can, because this isn't the end. And I think I forget that. I think our kids forget that. Um, uh, Tim Keller was talking, I was listening to a sermon by him, and he really encapsulated this. He says that we can live radically, because this isn't the end. He said, you can't travel, like if you can't go see the world, it doesn't matter, because in the new heavens and new earth, this world's going to be recreated, and you're going to live in it forever. You're going to be able to see every part of this world, right? At, when it's recreated. You, if, if you don't like your job, or it's not satisfying, in the new heavens and new earth, your job is going to be incredibly satisfying, right? Because we'll have work without sin. We'll have relationships without conflict. You know, so all of the things that we get caught up in now, this isn't the end game. This isn't what it's about. And if when we can remember that, I think it makes a huge difference. I was uh, in the Air Force. I don't, a lot of you probably don't know that. I was in the Air Force when I first got out of high school, and I was uh, in basic training. And I'll never forget, I've never seen more grown men cry in my life than in basic training. And you can imagine that. I mean, it's a little bit stressful being in basic training. Every movie you've ever seen where there's a drill instructor in somebody's face yelling and all that, full metal jacket, it's real. That's exactly what basic training's like. And I remember there was a guy in our basic training, he was not in my flight, in the Air Force it's flights instead of platoons, but he wasn't in my flight, he was in the, uh, a flight ahead of us, and this guy, somebody had told him the secret to basic training, that it's just a game. Basic training is not real. Like, you go through it, and they yell at you, and they get in your face, and they try to make you cry and break you down, and all those things, 
But the reason is, if you don't have the mental and physical aptitude and fortitude to make it through that, they want you to quit. They want you out. Because if you have what it takes, you can get through that. But if you don't, they want to know. So they push you and push you and push you. But it's really, there comes a time when basic training's over, and then you actually go into the Air Force, and it's a normal job, right? And there aren't people yelling in your face and, and making you do push-ups and doing all this stuff. And that's not real. That's, that's like, and so this guy, when the drill instructors would yell at everybody else and breed fear and you know, have people trembling and, and things like that, this guy would laugh at them. He would laugh in their face. They would be screaming at him, and he would giggle because he's like, this isn't real. I'm, you know, and it made them very angry. <laughs> I will say that. And I'm saying that for you and I and for our kids. If we can get our kids to understand now that this is not the end, they can laugh in the face of the things that are thrown at them. And of course, when they do, what's going to happen? Is the world going to be happy that they're laughing in the face? No, the world's going to hate them. Just like those drill instructors hated that guy. They're going to hate us. They're going to hate our kids because they're not going to be trapped by the fear and the things that other people um, notice. Now, let me hit just a couple more things and I'll be done. Uh, It is the Lord who raises up and casts down, right? God is the one who raised Daniel up, just like he raises us up. I think that for us, we talked about this theme before, so I'm just touching on it now. That's a great thing for us to constantly remind our kids. They're going to be disappointed. Or they're going to have someone in authority over them that they don't like. And we have to constantly remind them, hey, wait, who put this authority in your life? You don't like your coach? God put that coach in your life for a reason. Oh, wait, you didn't make the team? There's a reason. God is the one. He's behind that who raises up and casts down. Are we willing to make our decisions based on principle is another thing. We talked about this in detail before as well, that, that we, Daniel made his decision and he was ready to go. He was ready to go die. He made that decision based on principle. He knew he was not taking polls to figure out what he was going to do. He was not, you know, putting his finger in the air, you know, to see where the wind was blowing. Hey, should I really follow this rule or not? No, he, he knew who he was and he made his decision based on that. And we need to be talking to with our kids about those things as well. Are the principles driving what they do? And then we shouldn't be surprised when we have enemies in the world. And I've already, I've already you know, talked about that. And the people of the world are more cunning than the children of the light. We have to keep that in mind. In Luke uh, 6, verse 8, Jesus is telling uh, a story, but he says, For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the light. Okay? Uh, it's, it shouldn't surprise us that Daniel had those guys trying to maneuver him and use the world system against him. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens. They are sh- the, the people of the world are more shrewd, and we need to figure out, again, we're in this world, how can we at least uh, be aware of what's happening around us? And let me close with this. Do we see our calamities and trials as an opportunity for God's glory like it was for Daniel? Right? Remember, God took Daniel to this crisis point. God is the one who brought him to the edge of the lion's den and then said, yeah, throw him down in there. And it's important for us to remember, even with this story, we we never want to take this story and say to our kids, oh, if you do the right thing, you'll be rescued. 
right? That's a temptation here when we look at the story. No, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Were there other Christians in the first few centuries that were thrown to the lions? Do you think they knew the story of Daniel? Yeah, they did. And they probably read it and they prayed it. And I can, I can almost bet, because I think I would do it, if, if God were ushering me into a coliseum with a lion, I would be, I would be wondering, okay, is God going to close the mouths like he did with Daniel or am I about to get eaten? And I would be asking myself that question. And for God's glory, hundreds and thousands of Christians got eaten by lions, right? And you can go back to this story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said that to the king. You remember right before they went in the fiery furnace? They said, oh, king, hey, we're going to go in the furnace, and our God is able to deliver us, but if he does not, we're ready to go die. We're not changing our mind. We know he can deliver us, but he might not. And I think Daniel probably is feeling the same thing. I don't know that Daniel knew he was going to be delivered. He's like, hey, this could be the end. God will still be glorified in what he does through through us. And we have to remember we're not of this world. That's what gives us the power. That, that's the beginning then of that next life, if that's what happens, right? Um, when we have that in our mind as an opportunity, that everything is for God's glory, uh, it, it helps us. It gives us a different perspective. And, it, and it's so freeing. Um, can't, a lot of, some of you may know this, I had uh, Bell's palsy uh, where like half your face is, uh, is paralyzed. Um, it came on about six weeks ago or eight weeks ago and uh, it was really bizarre. And when my face quit working, um, <laughs> I had, had to go to the emergency room. And uh, afterwards, you know, we kind of thought it was Bell's palsy because I, I heard about that before. And some people said to me, well, gosh, were you scared to death? Did you think you'd had a stroke? Because, you know, when they're like, well, you either have a brain tumor or you had a stroke or it's Bill's palsy, you know. <laughs> so kind of like, hmm, these aren't really good options here. Um, and I, by the way, I'm better. So if you see, like, you can't see any effects. It's all pretty much I'm, I'm, I've recovered for the most part. But when Cammie and I were in the emergency room, we were kind of giggling and laughing at different times. I mean, it was some of that's nervous laughter, I'm sure. But there was a part of me that was taking comfort in saying, you know what, I can go into this, whatever it's going to be, knowing that if this is something really bad, God has this for his glory. And I can move into that with confidence. Um, Now, it's easy for me to say that to you because it was just Bell's palsy, right? I I do want to say that. I'm not trying to say, look at me, I'm I'm so awesome and godly. But I hope that whatever God brings our way, when we look at it from a heavenly perspective, it does change everything, right? We can face those things with confidence because God has a plan for us. All right, let me, uh, let me close in prayer, and Cammie's going to come and, and speak. Uh, heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this uh, whole series, and thank you for the, the message of Daniel. Thank you for the fact that he lived in a world that was diametrically opposed to his way of life, to his... Um, relationship with you, and yet you, you, got, you were there to guide him every step of the way to be winsome as he interacted with the world. And Lord, we want to equip our kids to do the same thing, to uh, navigate that so that you are glorified. Um, just continue to give us wisdom and strength as we, as we teach our children. And uh, be with Cammie as she speaks now. 
as well. And Lord, be with all of us that we would find peace in the midst of this busy holiday season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you're sitting there and you've just heard all these wonderful things about Daniel. And I know that y'all are all ready to go to the lion's den, right? Like, um, <laughs> no, you're saying no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think this world makes me long for the next. But I will tell you honestly, when I sit and I read scripture or when I hear stories, I, I think more highly of myself. I think I'm going to do better than when I'm actually tested. And um, in the past few weeks, I had an opportunity um, to be tested, and that's what I want to share with you guys today, because I failed miserably. <laughs> I'm always here telling you about my failures, but I did. And, and anyway, I look at Daniel, and I see that, you know, the high officials found no grounds for complaint against him, and I know that in my own life that if some government official were looking in and trying to find something, an inconsistency. There are so many. There are so many inconsistencies and so many opportunities um, where I fail. And I, it frustrates me because I want to be like Daniel. I want to have, you know, in Babylon this purity that is, surpasses it, this idea that um, my children can look at my example and that it's an example worth following. And I want, I want to honor the Lord in all that I do. My alarm's going off in my purse. <laughs> and I'm staring at it. I'm like, oh, that's distracting. Um, <laughs> um, I want to be this way. But the reality for me is that it is hard to live in Babylon. And it wears on me. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but I get tired. And so um, this situation happened. My daughter is in drama at Duluth High. And often they, I've shared with you guys about how they um, have practices and for plays on Sunday and performances on Sunday. And it frustrates me. Because I want Sunday to be sacred, and I want Sunday to be set apart. And when I was growing up, school didn't have functions on Sunday. And so we've had this tension in our household of, you know, involvement, and do we do it or do we not? And, and you know, I acknowledge that it is a part of the Babylonian system, the Duluth having stuff on Sunday. But I resent it. That's the truth. I resent it, and I don't want to have to make those choices. And so a situation came up where Tirza was involved in a play, and she was supposed to usher on Sunday, and it was a requirement for a grade for her class to be there on Sunday. And there was a direct conflict with, with a small group that she wanted to go to the small group. So she comes to me on Saturday, and she asks me, Mom, will you just write an email? Because, you know, if parents write an email, that will get you out of it. So she says, will you just write an email that something came up? And, you know, Dad has Bell's palsy, so you could mention that. And I, you know, my daughter's so smart because she knows me, and she knows that I don't want to lie outright. But she also knows that I really struggle with the authority of Babylon. I really do. I don't want Duluth High 
to tell me how, what my kids can and can't do. And I resent the fact that they declare some things excused and other things not, and they get to decide and not me. I'm like, I'm the mom. I should get to decide. So your system is stupid, and I don't like it. <laughs> and, and they wield this power, though, because they can give you a zero, which affects your GPA, which affects where you go to college, right? So all of these things are in my head, and the email that I can write it's going to be truthful, right? Because so Jeff did have Bell's palsy and I need tears at home. And it sounds really good in an email. And I thought, okay, sure, I'll get her out of it. And she can go to this D group thing and, and, it, and I'll be fine. And, and so I did, I wrote the email and I'm, and I wrote the email on Saturday and then Sunday morning I go to worship. Okay. So I'm in worship and I'm like, oh God, it's all about you. And I can just feel the Holy Spirit you know, right there going, yeah, what about that email? And I'm like, yeah, because you are so much more important, God, than Duluth High and everything that's going on there. And I can just hear him almost, you know, verbally talking to me saying, you have blown it. You have blown it in your leadership with your daughter. You have told her that it's okay to be dishonest in the face of persecution. Because in reality, the Bell's palsy had absolutely nothing to do with, with Tears' absence. It had nothing to do with it. And my needing her at home, or I, I needed her that I put in the email, I needed her to go to D group, which is what I really wanted her to do. But I knew that wouldn't be excused. And I didn't want her to get a zero. And so I'm sitting in worship, and I'm thinking, <sighs> I blew it. I modeled dishonesty for her. She knew that that email wasn't grounded in truth. She knew that I was taking the easiest way out. And so that's what I modeled for my daughter. But worse than that, worse than that, I circumvented the opportunity God gave Tirza to stand up for her faith. For her to go to her teacher and say, this D group event is more important to me than drama. And I will take the zero. I let her out of it. God gave this perfect opportunity for her to be salt and light on her campus, for her to stand up for her faith. And I said, you don't have to do that because that costs something. That's what I did as a mom. It's like... You know, the bad guys show up for Daniel, and I'm going, oh, I was just cleaning the floor. I wasn't really praying. I was cleaning the floor. You know, I totally messed up, and I totally let her miss that opportunity. And I could feel the Holy Spirit telling me that if I believe that church trumps drama, and I do, then I shouldn't let the grades influence how I act. If she stands for her faith, isn't that more important than her GPA? But see, I've bought into the fact that I think this world matters too much. I've bought into the fact that, to me, the GPA was the most important thing here. And I didn't, I just failed. So I'm sitting in church, and I'm being convicted, and I'm thinking, 
oh no, I've made a big mess of this. Now what do I do? This is now it's even an even bigger deal because now we're going to have to go to the teacher and confess that we stink. And she's going to think I'm this big lying mom. And, and, you know, and oh, I've made a big mess. So I go to tears and I apologize and, and we do. And, and she goes and talks to her teacher and confesses and, and she got a zero. She got a zero for the, for the, for not being there. And we took it. I mean, I'll tell you that it's a zero I'm actually proud of because it's something that I believe in. And I wanted to come, even as this whole thing's happening, I'm going, okay, I totally blew it. I can't wait to tell parent you. <laughs> because I think it's so easy to think in the abstract of, yes, Daniel and, and Lion's Den, and if I were facing imprisonment for my faith, I would stand strong. And, and in my head, I'm so much braver than I am because God gives me these little bitty opportunities to stand for him and I fail. And I fail in instructing my daughter. I mean, in the end, his Holy Spirit saved me, right? I mean, he didn't let me get away with it. He used the Holy Spirit to go wrong. You did it absolutely wrong. And here's your opportunity to make it right. And we did, and it was great conversations with my daughter over it. I mean, I came to her and I said, I apologize because your faith should cost you something. And we're saying we want to be salt and light on that campus, and yet we're not. We're, we're refusing the opportunity to be salt and light. And it was a great conversation that we had. And so I'm so grateful. And so two things that I just wanted to, bugs I want to put in your ear, and one is, you're not alone in this parenting thing. The Holy Spirit will direct you. If you're totally making a mess, run to him, and he will help you. He will tell you you're doing it wrong if you ask him and if you listen. Um, and sometimes even when you don't want to listen, he'll tell you you're doing it wrong. So that's one thing. You do have the Holy Spirit. The other thing is, is we have to give our kids opportunities to pay the price for their faith in this world, in the little ways, in these little aspects. Like, how can she stand up to her boss who wants her to do whatever on Sunday and not go to church if she can't stand up to her teacher and take a zero in a grade book? You know what I mean? Like, it's all building. And so we have to prepare our kids with this idea that their faith is going to cost them, not just in the big ways where you're facing the lions, but in the little ways that maybe affect your GPA. So those are my two thoughts. And, and it's important that we prepare our kids for the cost of obedience because our faith should cost us something. And if it's not costing us anything, then it, what is it really worth to us? Living in Babylon, you see Daniel paying the price, and you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and it should be costing us something, too. So look for those opportunities to prepare your kids. And, and I just want to tell you, if you get it wrong, God is saved. God is, God is sovereign, and he is on the throne. And he can use even you making it wrong, you getting it wrong in the life of your kid. Okay? Let me pray for you all as you go out. Dear God, I just thank you so much that you are our Savior and that you save us as parents from even when we make get it wrong. 
And so I just lift up to you, and I pray for each of us, and I pray for our kids. Lord, as they're growing up in Babylon, give us eyes to see those opportunities we have to prepare them. And help us to be intentional and, and speak into the situations even as we make mistakes. And use even our mistakes to bring glory and honor to your name and to point our kids to you as, the, as their Savior and as our Savior and that you can redeem every moment. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.